Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us as we approach the 1972 Just League Justice Society crossover. This is our second road to rediscovering the Seven Soldiers of Victory episode. Isn't that right, Peter? It most certainly is. Yes, last week we covered some of the Golden Age adventures of some of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And this week we're going to jump into a few more. Yes, having fun with the aspect of legacy that we like to focus on, which is reuse of character names and, and such like. Some fun stuff for you today. I think you'll really enjoy them. We're kicking off this week with a story from Star Spangled Comics, issue 49 published on the 3rd of August, 1945. The fact that we're doing a story from Star Spangled Comics might give you an idea <laughs> who's going to feature in this first story. Yes, of course, it's the Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy. When did you first encounter the Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy? Uh, I think Star Spangled Kid certainly was in an issue of All-Star Comics, the 70s revival. Right. Uh, first came across him, and I think Stripesy was mentioned in it. Right. But I can't recall offhand. What about yourself? I think it was one of those ones when it was an All-Star Squadron lineup uh-huh. image. Could have been issue 60. Could have been that early issue of Young All-Stars when Arm Monroe goes to the Perisphere and everyone's lined up. I didn't experience any issues of All-Star Comics in the 70s, so didn't see him that way. If he'd been in the 1979 JLA-JSA crossover, I might have met Sylvester that way. But yes. No. Obviously, these are characters that have kind of been taken to a kind of wider audience outside of comics recently because of the excellent Stargirl TV series, mm-hmm. which is obviously might have influenced our casting, as it were, a little bit with one of our, our other imminent episodes. But no, it's, it's an interesting sort of flip on the old hero and sidekick sort of formula, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is, because the adult is the sidekick mm. in this adult and teenage partnership. Yeah. Yeah, it's really quite interesting. Sylvester Pemberton is the Star Spangled Kid, and he's a, a rich boy, let's call him that. Sure. Yeah, born into money. And Stripesy, Pat Duggan, is the basically the family chauffeur and mechanic and... General dog's body, really. Mm. And yet yeah, together, they dress up patriotically and fight crime. Absolutely. Sylvester is quite a long sort of storied history, some of which will play out, out with the time frame of our remit. But, you know, we're still in the very, very early stages of talking about what we're going to do when we get to the end of the crisis. So anyway, bear with us. Bear with us. Re- retire. <laughs> Have a rest. <laughs> Stop talking for a while. Merge with our multiversal counterparts. That'd be good. <laughs> Maybe I'll get turned into clay and get the chance to start all over again. That'd be fun. <laughs> so, without further ado, our opening splash panel of this Star Spangled Kids story. It's quite interesting. There's a spotlight shining. At first glance, it appears like there's two Star Spangled Kid and Stripesies. But when you look a little bit closer, you see that on the left hand of the panel, the Star Spangled Kid is headbutting in the chest a chap who has an outfit that's the same colours as Stripesies, but instead of horizontal hoops, it has vertical bars. Mm. Background, caught in the, the full spotlight, we see that Stripesy and his amazing hair. Yes. He's tackling someone that, in first glance, appears to be the Star Spangled Kid, but if you look a little bit closer, it's not stars that are decorating his uniform. It looks initially like a planet, or maybe Saturn or something, yes. but it's actually... Very much like Saturn Girls yeah, logo, yeah. It's actually something else, because our opening text splash sort of caption reads imitation is supposed to be the sincerest form of flattery but the star-spangled kid and stripesy aren't flattered when two crooks adopt their methods for criminal purposes 
The crooks are pretty good at it too. In fact, they're hard to beat. Until the star-spangled kid and Stripesy show that extra something that makes the difference between them and... The, the Comet, Comet Kid and, and Barzy. Yes, the Comet Kid and Barzy. Superb. Yes. Well then, our first story panel proper. There is a caption, and it says... Two ex-convicts meet. One brawny, one brainy. Yep, the brawny chap is stood looking very broad and brawny in a purple suit. His compatriot is a skinnier looking guy sat at a table. There are glasses and an open bottle. The low-slung light bulb all looks very cheap and a bit... CD. Yes, that's the word I was struggling for. So the big chap, who's called Ox, is saying, You said for me to meet you here, Chisler, but you didn't say why. What does a smart guy like you want with a dumb guy like me? Plenty, Ox. I may be smart, but smartness never got me any further than strength got you. But suppose we put my smartness and your strength together to make a team. We'd sure go places then. Sounds good, Chisler. But, I don't know, maybe it ain't practical. Nice detail in this panel here. Um, there's a, an illustration of an attractive lady on the wall. So there you go. Chisler continues in panel three. Not practical? Look at the star-spangled kid and stripesy. Exactly the same combination on the law side as I suggest we form for crime. Crooks don't stand a chance against them. Gee, maybe you're right, Chisler. And a slow dissolve. And so a new crime team is formed. Yes, we see Chisler... And Ox in their new costumes. Ox wearing the aforementioned vertical bars, striped shirt, blue leggings, a flip on Pat's costume. And Chisler now wearing something that looks very like Sylvester Star Spangled Kid costume, but yeah, it does look like it's a ringed planet that's all over it. I mean, Planet Kid <laughs> doesn't work as well. Comic Kids, I've got that alliteration thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. the Comic Kid is saying, from now on, we don't use the names Chisler and Ox. It's the Comet Kid and Barzy. What for? And why wear these costumes anyway? The last time we went to jail, it was because of stool pigeons. But if nobody knows our real identities, stool pigeons can't squeal on us. He's only up a diagram, a drawing of what looks like a couple of people fighting in the next panel. He's saying, Now we gotta learn teamwork, like the star-spangled kid and stripesy. Listen, and I'll explain our first trick play. Practice leads to smooth perfection. Yes, it almost appears like they're standing in the, the splash image now because there's a dark background that looks like they're standing in the spotlight. Comic Kid is saying, Now, make believe there are some cops coming at us. Signals! Joliet 52! Gotcha, kid. In the first panel of page three, Barzy has grabbed Comic Kid by the wrist and he's swinging him around. Looks like a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> Peter and I, if you stay tuned for the end, Peter and I will demonstrate that properly for our YouTube viewers. Okay, Dave. Barzy swings Comic Kid around saying, How's that? Perfect! We're all set to go, Barzy! And so, that same night... Yes, we can see them running from a jewellery store, which is the name Smith, over the door, as it were. Carrying suitcases, heavy briefcases, they obviously just robbed it. Barzy is saying... Gee, you had this figure perfect, kid. There wasn't a single hitch. And a voice from the jewellery store can be heard crying... Help! Panel 3, page 3. We see that some policemen are approaching Barzy and the comic kid. Barzy says... Uh-oh, the coppers! We can't reach our getaway car. Keep cool. Uh, signals Alcatraz 72. With that, in panel four, Barzy lifts up the comic kid and basically throws out the police as comic kid cries, We step on cops. And there's a cry of, Yay! From one of the policemen, the caption for panel five. And through the whole torn in the line of police. Yeah, we just see Barzy getting stuck in, as the comic kid says. That's it, Barzy. 
That's the way to use your strength. And we have a slow dissolve then for panel six, page three. One successful crime follows another, and eventually in the home of Sylvester Pemberton... Yes, Sylvester and the civvies has slicked back dark hair and glasses, as long as the Clark Kent mm-hmm. style to him. He's reading the newspaper headline, which we can see, that says, Kid and Barzy make another haul. And Sylvester is saying to Pat... Pat, this new team that seems patterned after us has gone far enough. I get you, kid. So it's switcheroo, and... And this is a fantastic panel to round out this page. We see the Star Rocket Racer hurtling through the sky. Is this the first appearance of the Star Rocket Racer in the podcast? I believe it is, yeah. I think it is too. I'm not sure how often it's going to turn up. Mm -hmm. It won't turn up in our immediately subsequent episode, sadly. Anyway, Mm. from inside, we hear the voices of our heroes. Where do we start looking for them, kid? So far, they haven't left a clue. Just one, Stripesy, just one. Sylvester continues in the first panel of page four. The Comet Kid seems to be a lot like me. He both acts and thinks the way I do, so suppose I were to put myself in his place. I'm the Comet Kid planning the next robbery. Well, what would you do? says Stripesy. Let me see. I've robbed three jewellery stores in a row. The police figure they're my speciality, so they put a special guard around the stores. But I'm not stepping into any traps. The papers have been full of reports about Mrs. Haven's emeralds lately. They'd make nice loot. How about cruising over to her place? Okay, kid. Moments later... A disappointing lack of a full moon in this panel, as we see the rocket racer flying along. Pass over a large house, large wall outside, an open gate, lots of trees. We also see a body lying in the ground. From inside the rocket racer, Stripes, he says, Look, kid, something happened to that guard, but that's Mrs. Snootley's estate, not Mrs. De Haven's. Well, maybe I couldn't guess the exact person they'd rob, but Mrs. Snootley is plenty of gems too. From inside this large house, a voice cries, Help! Police! And we see a car speeding out of the gate. Still presumably in the rocket racer, we hear Star Spangle Kid say, That must be their getaway car. After them, Stripesy. And in panel six, there's a bit of a narrative leap because the rocket racer has landed and they found the car that the bad guys had been using abandoned. We see Star Spangle Kid and Stripesy. And actually, if you look closely... Has Stripesy been rendered with with bars there? Yes, he has. Oh dear, that's a mistake. (laughs) We see... Sylvester and Pat hot it towards the tree line as Sylvester says, They've taken to the woods. We'll have to follow on foot. And in the final panel of page four, we see that Stripesy and Star Spangle Kid are closing behind Barzy and the Comet Kid who are running up the path through the trees in front of them. Stripesy says, We're gaining, kid. But then in the first panel of page five, we've arrived at a carnival. <gasps> and we see that the Comet Kid and Barzy are making their way into the, the throng of people who are attending the show. As Star Spangle Kid says, They hope to slip out of costume and mingle with the crowd. We mustn't give them a chance. In panel two, there's something called the turntable, which looks like it's a big sort of rotating sort of base that people kind of lie on and try not to be thrown off of. <laughs> we see Barzy and Comic Kid not actually doing what Sylvester thought they might be doing. We see them climbing onto the turntable and Sylvester and Pat spot them and Star Spangle Kid says, We can play that game too. And then in panel three, we see that Star Spangle, Kid and Stripesy have also jumped onto the, the turntable and that Barzy and Comet Kid are there too. Sylvester says, They've turned to fight at last. M27, Stripesy. At the same time as the Comet Kid says, Jolly Ed 52, Barzy. And we see in panel four, 
that they've basically done identical moves because Sylvester, the Star Spangle Kid, comments, Hey, both signals mean the same thing. Yeah, and this involves, like we saw earlier on, Stripesy lifting Star Spangle Kid up by the wrists and pulling him around just as Barzy does the same for the Comic Kid with the inevitable, as you'd expect in panel five, where they both collide in midair as the Comic Kid says, Ow! That didn't go as I figured! And the Star Spangle Kid exclaims, Ugh! And as the giant turntable spins around... Yeah, we can see them all basically holding on for dear life. They then arrive at the top of page six. It appears though Barzy and the comic kid have managed to get off the turntable first. Sylvester and Pat still on it. In fact, Stripes, he says, Ha <laughs> that turntable sure is fun. In panel two, we see the Star Spangle Kid rubbing his head after his collision and he's saying, how do you like that? They use our own signals and beat us as our own game. And did you notice that guy Barzy? Cauliflower ears just like mine. And this is actually, I should have to say before we any further, some cracking shots of Stripesy's hair in yes. these panels. Peter did a, a custom Funko Stripesy a while ago, which um, when he sent me a photograph of it, just wiped me out. We'll probably put it back in the socials this week, actually. I think we will, so, yeah. So you can see it. It's uh-huh. absolutely hilarious. Yes, but anyway... Star Spangle Kid continues in panel three of page six. Never mind, Stripesy. We're honest and they're crooks, and that makes a difference. Sure it makes a difference, but how's it going to help us catch them? Crooks work together not because they like each other, but because they have to. They don't really trust each other, and if we add to their distrust, well, you'll see, Stripesy. And a slow dissolve, captioned for panel five. Obliging newspaper editors cooperate with the Star Spangled Kid, and that same night... Yes, we see Chisler and Ox in their hideout. Chisler looking very weaselly in the background, must be said as Ox. Reads a newspaper headline that says, Stool Pigeon's tip sets Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy on trail of imitators. Ox is saying, Huh? How did any stool pigeon know about us? Then costumes are supposed to protect us from stool pigeons. I haven't the slightest idea, Ox, unless... Unless you unbuttons your lip to one of your friends. As he stands up, waves his hand, Ox also stands up, saying, Me? Why, you little rat? I never talked to nobody. I bet it was you. Chisel steps forward to try and calm things down and says, Wait a minute, Ox. No use fighting about it. Next time I'll make sure that no information leaks out. I won't tell you a thing. I'll just keep my plans under my hat until it's time to pull the job. Okay, pal. If the Star Spangled Kid catches on then, I'll know whose fault it is. A slow dissolve then as we arrive at the top of page 7. The caption reads, But the Star Spangled Kid is not waiting. At Rogue's Gallery... Rogue's Gallery, I'm guessing, must be some kind of ancient um, 1940s style Wikipedia filing room place. Looks like it, yes. Sylvester's holding... Oh, sorry, I should say the Star Spangled Kid is holding a, a photograph and he's saying, I don't know about that comet, Kid, but this fellow looks familiar. Notice the ears of ex-con Ox Mueller. There are many guys like me with ears like that. I'll bet he's Barzy, says Stripesy, and a caption for panel two reads. Now a discreet search through well-known underworld hideouts. Yeah, nice shot here. Silhouetted forms of Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy on top of a building looking down at another silhouetted form is walking along the street. Star Spangled Kid is saying, There's Ox Mueller now, coming out of Smokey's Pool Parlour. Did men's we are not play one of their first gigs at Smokey's Pool Parlour? I was just thinking that. I'm trying to think if that was the place, it was the last time I saw them on Trolls Avenue. Could be. Could I can't be. remember. It was a while ago now. Anyway. The kid continues. We'll follow him. Maybe he'll lead us to his better half. Indeed, in panel three, they've jumped down at street level and followed Ox, who's getting into a motor vehicle. Stripes, he says, look, kid, he's meeting his pal now. 
If they change into costume, we'll follow them for sure. The next panel, we see that the two bad guys have... It's not clear if they've driven somewhere else. It looks like they have, actually, because it's a quite a, an odd sort of layout this panel. It looks as though we could be back up on another rooftop with Sylvester and Pat looking down. It's not very clear. Listeners, check your own copies of Star Spangled 49 and see what you think. The bad guys have crept out of their vehicle and we can see they're approaching a bank. Stripes, he says, it's them, all right. And look where they're headed. So, it's bank robbery this time, is it? In the next panel, they've leaped down or leaped over and confronted them. Star Spangle Kids throws a punch at Comet Kids saying, Better change your mind about that, rats. Did we mention before that Ox wears a little tiny mask as Barzy? No, I don't think he did. A right. small domino mask. Yes. Yeah, it's quite cool. Big fan of domino masks. Yes. Domino Mask, spelled M-A-S-Q-U-E, is Peter's stripper name. Followed by OnlyFans. Yes. <laughs> Post a link at the end of the episode. <laughs> Barzy, Ox, whatever you want to call him at this point, is raging. He's furious that they've turned up. As Stripes, he goes to punch him and Ox cries, Them again! So you did talk, you double-crosser! And as the fight continues in the final panel of page 7, Comic Kid replies, No, you fool! Oh! That's because he's just been punched by the Star Spangle Kid who says, Make believe you're putting up a fight, Comet Kid, or Barzy will never believe you! Ah, interesting. Psychology there from Sylvester. I like it, I'm into it. First panel of page 8, Star Spangle Kid ducks down out of the way as the comic kid tries to fire a punch back at him. Star Spangle Kid is saying, boy, this looks almost real. Don't believe him, Barzy. I'm not faking. I never peached in a pal. Suddenly. There's a hint of the spotlight we saw in the splash panels arrive because suddenly everyone's thrown into deep shadows and there's a big circle of light all around them. We also see that Comic Kid and Barzy are kind of paused in the middle of this panel, looking a bit lost. As Star Spangle Kid thinks, They're completely demoralised. Here's our chance. K-72, Stripesy. And how? In the next panel, we see that Star Spangle Kid has jumped behind Comic Kid, grabbed his arms, twisting them round behind him, as Comic Kid says, Oh, help, Barzy! And we see Barzy reaching forward. However, in the next panel, presumably following on from the move that Star Spangle Kid said in panel two, Stripesy has reached down, grabbed... Star Spangle Kid by the feet and lifted him up and thrown him, remember he's still holding on to Comic Kid, thrown them towards Barzy. There's a clunk and a, yeah, oh, and Stripes, he says, too bad they didn't figure that one out, kid. And then panel five, we see that Comic Kid's down the ground with Barzy standing over him. Star Spangle Kid says, had enough, pals? Barzy replies, plenty, here. You can have this. And he's holding a wrapped up parcel. Not quite clear what it is at this point. And he throws it at Star Spangle in the final panel of page 8 saying, I won't have no use for it no more. But then in the first panel of page 9, there's a massive... <laughs> an explosion goes off, sending Sylvester flying and making Stripesy recoil. Comic Kid recovers and says, The soup with which we were going to open the safe. The dumb lug used it at the right time. So it was the explosive they were going to use to blow open the bank. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. And then panel 2... Comic Kid's suddenly got a gun, which he's pulled on Stripesy and Sylvester. And Comic Kid says, Tough luck, boys. You put up a good fight. To which the Sarspankle Kid thinks, He's going to shoot, and I can't throw myself at him in time to stop him. There's just one chance. And while Sylvester's thinking this, Barzy is standing behind him. He turns to him in panel three, yelling, He's going to shoot you. He thinks you double-crossed him. Quick! And then Ox, a.k.a. Barzy, replies, Huh? You mean? And the caption for panel four says, And this shows you how well thieves trust each other. Yeah. Barzy lunges forward and punches the gun out of Comic Kid's hand. It goes off. Barzy says, No, you don't, rat! To which Comic Kid says, You stupid fool! Don't you realise that I wouldn't? And there's a bang as the gun goes off. 
And then in the next panel, Stripesy has grabbed Star Spangled Kid by the hands, swung him round so that Sylvester can throw out flying kicks that knock over both Comet Kid and Barzy. And as this is going on, Star Spangled Kid says, Thanks, boys. That fraction of a second was all that I needed. They call this Juliet 52. Maybe we can send them back there to practice up some more. As the and as the bad guys go flying. And then the final panel, page nine, final panel of the story, we see Barzy and the Comet Kid, actually terribly rendered, it must be said, <laughs> stretched out on the ground in front of the bank. As a smiling stripes, he says, Close call, kid. But thanks to your quick thinking, we made it. Don't forget, Stripesy, we're a perfect team and crooks aren't and never will be. A small caption tells us this is... The End. Now, there's a lovely twist in Legacy, isn't there? Yes. Crooks inspired by the heroes to take on personas similar to the heroes without actually impersonating the heroes. And with near identical costumes. Yeah, great fun. And also adopting their modus operandi. Although it's quite funny that uh, the Crooks used code names named after jails, like Juliet, for their moves. I didn't pick up on that at all. Oh, there you go. No, I'm not, I'm not disputing it. I just said, no. I was just like, oh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Juliet 52. Alcatraz 72. Yes. Yeah. I did notice that one. I didn't, uh-huh. I didn't, Juliet, is that, is that the name of a, a prison? Yeah, it's Chicago. It's, oh, right, yeah. okay. Peter has an interesting depth of knowledge in prisons all of a sudden, listeners. Are you as troubled by this as I am? Write in and let us know. I've seen the Blues Brothers. Have you? I've only seen, <laughs> bit. I've only seen, do you know what? I've never seen the Blues Brothers all the way through. Gas. I've only seen bits of it when, Someone had a pirate video copy in like 1982 or something. Wow. I've never seen it. Okay. Basically because John Belushi kind of made me feel uncomfortable. Okay. So there you go. Listeners, have you seen the Blues Brothers? We don't care. And does John Belushi make you uncomfortable? Right in and let us know. Right in and let us know. That was fun. It was interesting how Sylvester, I like how Sylvester was shown as being quite thoughtful and, you know, clever working out what was going on. Yeah, as I said, it is a change to the usual dynamic of adult hero and uh, kid sidekick. It's the reverse. It's, it's yeah. genuinely completely different from anything else, really, at this time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the flip of obviously stuff mm-hmm. like Sandman and Sandy, Batman and Robin, yep. Green Arrow and Speedy, etc. Fascinating that there was a you know a real cast of thousands this time. <laughs> the only other voices were off camera or a frightened policeman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The standout thing for this one, obviously, the reason why we picked it is, as you say, is the twist on legacy. Mm-hmm. I love the carnival sort of interlude. Yeah, the turntable. That is something that would not be in existence today. No. It's a health and safety disaster. Absolutely. So, it's, I mean, yes. just like how many people were injured or flying off or that broken very, jaws. Yeah, exactly. Off, yeah. Very badly hurt. Mm. I was a little disappointed we didn't get more of a chase through the carnival, but I mean, I liked. It's, I mean, it's very well written. I liked how the mm-hmm. the baddies essentially just don't trust each other. And so, yeah. Sylvester obviously mm-hmm. returns to that in the final panel. He says that that's the difference between yeah. between them. That was that was quite interesting. Yeah, defeated by psychology. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, because they were fairly evenly matched otherwise. Mm-hmm. It would have been quite terrible if they'd both sort of fallen on the gun and died. Which probably would have happened if they'd been fighting Quicksilver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the gun, that gun is huge. Where the hell did Comet Kid hide that? It looks about the size of his arm. If you look at panel one on page nine, mm. is it just like basically hanging out the front of his crotch? Uh, I hope that's the or is gun. that just shading? Let's just hope it's shading. It could be, yes. There's no holster no. on the costume, so... No, you can't see it in any of the other panels looking back. Yeah. I like the fact that the costumes are similar enough, yet different enough that... Yes, yes. You can tell them apart, but there's a couple of points with the comic kid and Sylvester do look very... I'm surprised they never came back. Yeah. We've said similar things about other characters in the podcast before, but mm-hmm. sort of thing you can imagine James Robinson or Jeff Johns having a lot of fun with. Yeah. Uh-huh. Why has Courtney Whitmore mm-hmm. never met the comic kid and Barzy? you know? That's it. Uh-huh. Oh, can you imagine? Uh-huh. Jeff, are you listening? You can have that for nothing <laughs> for your next miniseries. 
Had the final issue of The Lost Children been published the last time we recorded? I can't remember. I think so. I, so, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. We've had a lot going on listeners recent weeks. We haven't been able to record as regularly as often as we'd like. So yeah. we could be saying things that we said in the last episode and because we recorded it like a month ago, we can't remember. <laughs> but we should just say very quickly, the Stargirl Lost Children series was great. Yes. The, the, uh-huh. the absolute emotional gauntlet reading it and it mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. And I look forward to seeing what happens next. Yes, if you're a Seven Soldiers fan, you will adore it. Yes. So yes. We might talk a bit more about it actually once we've finished. Mm-hmm. In fact, we will talk a bit more about The Lost Children. Yeah. When we finish the 1972 JLA GSA team up. And of course, we should probably quickly say that if, you, if you've been reading The Lost Children, our pal Ross from Stop Let's Team Up has been covering that on his podcast as each issue was published. So you should go and have a listen and see what Ross says about it. Yes, definitely. Now, as I was doing the research for the Star Spangled Kid and Stripes, I came across a few other stories that I'd like to mention just now as well. Mm-hmm. Firstly, there's a story called The Star of Destiny from Star Spangled Comics 63. That's from the 4th of October 1946. And I was quite excited because I thought this might be a Golden Age Doctor Destiny. All right. But no, it's a Golden Age Professor Destiny. Why couldn't they just call him Doctor? That would have been fantastic. (laughs) We could have unearthed another one. Mm. There's another one called The Clown of Crime from World's Finest 17, which I thought, is that possibly a Joker influence? But no, it's got absolutely nothing to do with the Joker. It's a different story entirely. Okay. But there's one in particular that I want to mention because, well, for two reasons. One, because it's the first time we ever see, to my knowledge two different characters from two different strips casually bump into each other. Right. I think another one you mean. Are you going to glow at this point? Yes. And the second reason I want to mention this one is because I own this comic. It's World's <laughs> Finest Issue 9, and the story is Turn Back the Clock. It's a time travel story, and in it, you have the Star Spangled Kid and Stripes chasing their bad guys. Mm-hmm. And as they're chasing their bad guys, you see the Joker run the other way, mm-hmm. being chased by Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. And... They just kind of like wave at each other and shout hi to each other as they pass each other. And it's a startling cameo and at a time when they didn't do that sort of thing. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's in the DC app, but if it is, check it out. Because it's really fascinating, the fact that this casual encounter happens. Yeah, and the fact that they don't team up to help each other. No. And does this mean the Star Spangled Kid and Stripes here in Gotham? Ooh. Or does it mean that uh, Batman and Robin are chasing the Joker to whatever city the Star Spangled Kid and Stripes are operating out of? That's interesting. Mm. Yes, Peter owns a Golden Age Joker appearance, listeners. Just think on that. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, if you think how many times the Joker has appeared over the years. Yeah. When World's, World's Finest Comics Issue 9 was published, and, and a tally of consecutive list of, you know, that's yeah. incredibly early, isn't it? Uh, yeah, now that you mention it, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. See, oh, I well. told you. Said, I said you should... I said you, I, said you should sell that man and blah 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 go on a nice holiday pay a mortgage for a few months and people's like no no (laughs) (laughs) it was hardly pay anything it's not in the best condition there's two pages missing but it smells fantastic that's all i'm going to say yes (laughs) anyway we're going to jump on now to our second story Mm -hmm. properly for this episode reading from adventure comics 223 published on 28th of february 1956 and we're returning to a couple of characters we met in a previous episode, aren't we, PZ? Yep, it's back with our old favourites, Green Arrow and Speedy. Fantastic. Now, we have an opening, not a full splash panel, but a panel that takes up most of the opening page, and it is captioned like so. A cunning criminal gang makes it necessary to enlist a third member on the famed crime-fighting team of Green Arrow and Speedy. But after some breathtaking encounters with the underworld, the battling bowmen come to rue the day they sought the help of... The Decoy Archer. Yeah, it's an interesting opening splash panel. The image shows Green Arrow and Speedy 
on the gemstone of a giant ring. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of bad guys in suits and hats of different colours looking down at them, and one guy in blue says, Let's finish him off, boys. We got Green Arrow and his pal just where we want him. A guy in a sort of orangey hat and suit says, Look, another Green Arrow. There's two of them. And we can see indeed behind Ollie and Roy on the top of the giant ring, there's another Green Arrow running in behind. Which one's the real Green Arrow? What's going on? We will find out very soon. The caption for panel two of this opening page says, One day, as the famed Green Arrow and Speedy attend a marksmanship contest at the City Archery Club. Yeah, we see Green Arrow and Speedy in uniform, watching a couple of other chaps in the background, with a target further in the background, just practising, really. Bows and arrows, ahoy! Speedy says, There's Walt Craig now, G.A. I recognise him from the photograph the club president sent us. Craig certainly got a keen target eye, Speedy. I guess he's our man. Let's make arrangements to speak to him at once. A slow dissolve. Later, in a private office of the club. Yes, you can see a big tall window and lots of books on a shelf, and Walt Craig walks in. I would say a slightly prematurely lined face, close-cropped blonde hair, and he says, You mean the club president recommended me as a third member of your team, Green Arrow? I thought you and Speedy worked alone. To which Green Arrow replies, We usually do, Walt. However, we've been stymied by a cunning pack of criminals who call themselves the Decoy Gang. And Ollie continues in the first panel of page two. They commit two thefts simultaneously, one of which is designed to decoy me from the other. Obviously, I can't be in two places at once. Walt replies, I get it, so you want me as a sort of stand-in. Well, I'm ready to go to work. Interesting. Caption in for panel two of page two. That evening, at the Emerald Archer's secret laboratory on the outskirts of town... Yes, yeah, some nice scientific equipment ranged in the background. Speedy's handing something to Walt, saying, Here's a uniform just like Green Arrow's, Walt. And Green Arrow's holding a book which has the title Green Arrow and Speedy. Or maybe actually it's an omnibus, or maybe it's the first issue of their new miniseries. Could be. Maybe it's the Golden Age archives. I think Could it be. Is. Green Arrow's saying, And I want you to study this book very carefully. It will give you a line in our latest crime-fighting techniques. In panel three, we see Speedy and Green Arrow exiting from the room as they leave, Green Arrow saying, After all, if you're going to pose as me, you'll have to be familiar with my various manoeuvres. Good night, Walt. Walt watches them go and says, So long, Green Arrow, and thanks a million. This is like a dream come true. There's a book about Green Arrow and Speedy with all the manoeuvres. Did Oliver write it himself? Did, someone, did Jonathan Law write it? <gasps> Gasp, Can Gasp, you imagine? Yes. Right, sorry. I'm imagining to, it now. I'm imagining it too. Why is someone... Anyway, I know he was used in Nightwing, but anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Panel four then of page two is captioned. But after the famed archers leave, a smile crosses the face of Walter Craig. Yes, but Walt doesn't silhouette right now, so we can't see the smile as he thinks to himself... What a laugh. For months I've been fashioning myself after Green Arrow, studying his archery techniques to assure my success as a criminal. And then we do see him smiling his grotesque smile in panel five as he continues to think, Now fate has placed Green Arrow right in my hands. He himself is going to teach me some of his best-kept secrets, and once I've mastered them, I'll be able to give him and Speedy more competition than any crook they've ever encountered. Uh Uh-oh. Well done, Oliver. Good shout. Slow dissolve then, the caption for panel 6 of page 2. Several days later, as a colourful flare rockets skyward over the city... Yes, a big green arrow flare over the, the darkened sky out the window, and we can see our two green arrows in Speedy. The first one, which we're guessing is Walt, says... Hey, where are you two going? What's up? And our original green arrow replies... That's the arrow signal, Walt. 
Police headquarters' method of alerting us. The human torch is going to rip this off completely. <laughs> anyway, final panel of page two is captioned. Then a speedy and a standing green arrow take off in the lightning-fast arrow car. Yes, it almost looks though Roy's driving. The car's about to zoom off. It's already sending out massive clouds of exhaust fumes. <laughs> green arrow collapsing into <laughs> fits of coughing. No, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just kidding. A radio voice can be heard saying, All cars proceed to Dayton's department store. A robbery has been reported, to which Green Arrow says, I'll stand by in reserve, Speedy, in case it's the decoy gang. Here, I've jotted down a few battle tactics you and Craig might use. Right, GA, says Speedy in response as they start to zoom off. Interesting. Breathtaking minutes later, in front of the department store. The Arrow car is pulled up and we can see three bad guys, one in a blue suit, one in an orange suit, one in a brown suit, the first two guys have hats, a couple of concerned ladies on the street watching all this going on. They're coming out of the department store. It looks like they're carrying televisions. Good grief. How modern. Speedy stands up in the car, and there's quite a lot of simultaneous action going on here. As he does, we notice that the the hood in the blue suit has fired towards the envelope that Roy was carrying that had, obviously, Oliver's notes on how to do some of the moves and stuff. So we'll just do all of Speedy's speech here. It is part of the decoy gang, Craig. They're... What? As I'm reacting to the bullet. That hoodlum's bullet shot GA's envelope right out of my hand. We'll have to take them on our own. To which Green Arrow, a.k.a. Walt Craig, says, Sure thing, Speedy, and I've got an idea. And in panel two, he's very quickly, clearly, fired a couple of arrows that have gone straight into the centre of the televisions being carried by the bad guys. And Green Arrow, a.k.a. Walt Craig, says, Those exploding TV tubes startled them, Speedy. They're as good as caught. Yeah, there's a nice little concussive pows as the, the TVs blow up. I hope Green Arrow's got insurance. One of the bad guys says, That's what you think, Green Arrow. Cut them down, boys. But as the criminals draw their weapons... Yes. Green Arrow, Walt Craig, stepped off the car, and the two women who were standing at the corner, he's grabbed them, dragged them in front of himself, saying, Come here, you two. I'm using you both as a shield. And an appalled Speedy looks on, thinking, Great Scott, of all the crazy moves, I've got to stop Craig. He's endangering the lives of those two women. And then in panel four, Speedy vaults forward... Grabs Walt Craig's green arrow round the waist, sending him flying as Walt Craig says, Hey, what's the idea, Speedy? And one of the bad guys, one in the blue suit, says, What a coward! Even I wouldn't pull a stunt like that. And his much slipperier compatriot, who told everyone to fire a second ago, he starts running off, saying, Let's get out of here while we can! Moments later... Take a drink, listeners. There's a very conspicuous rubbish stroke trash bin on the the pavement next to the, the arrow car. That's fantastic. We've not had one of those for a while. Speedy is saying, That was a terrible thing to do, Craig. Green Arrow never risks other people's lives. I guess I just wasn't thinking, Speedy. I'm sorry. But he thinks, Better watch my step. I don't want to be tossed off the team. Yet. And a slow dissolve, the final panel of page three. Meanwhile, elsewhere, as the real Green Arrow responds to another robbery attempt... Yes, a few more members of the decoy gang standing beside an open door. The real Green Arrow rushing towards them. One of the decoy gang cries, Look, it's Green Arrow! One of his pals says, Huh? But the boys just clashed with him downtown. How did he get up here so fast? As we arrive at the top of page four, Green Arrow unleashes a volley. Five arrows which fire into the doorway, blocking the way in. Off camera, Green Arrow says, How I arrived here is for you characters to figure out. One of the bad guys we see is holding a conspicuous walkie-talkie in this panel. He's saying, We can't escape through the warehouse. He's blocked the door with arrows. The caption for panel two. Quickly, the master archer unleashes his famed arrow line. Yeah, this is cracking. One of the bad guys screams, Yee! 
as the arrow that Green Arrow has fired twists a rope, a cord, a line, however you want to put it, all around the bad guys, tying them together. And Green Arrow says, The important thing is that I've hogtied one arm of the decoy gang. Awesome. A slow dissolve. Later, as Green Arrow and Speedy assume their real-life identities of wealthy Oliver Queen and his ward, Roy Harper... Roy's getting changed into civilian clothes as Ollie walks past him, saying, That was some show, Roy. Wait till I take a shower, then we'll talk shop. Sure, Oliver. Then he thinks, Got to tell him about Walt's unsportsmanlike action. Crosses to a filing cabinet in the next panel, opens a drawer, thinking, It isn't like him to misjudge the character of people he works with. I think I'll see what his report is on Craig in the Green Arrow files. But just as Oliver emerges from the shower... Roy walks towards him, starting to say, Oliver, I... But he's interrupted. Save it, Roy. There's the arrow signal. You must get Walt and start moving as Green Arrow and Speedy again. And sure enough, we see the giant green flaming arrow flying through the sky, Ollie with a very discreet towel around his waist. That will please Dr. Weldham, I'm sure. A slow dissolve, the caption for panel five. Shortly, as the crime-fighting trio races to answer the police alarm... You see the car pulling up outside an establishment called the Diamond Mart. Mm. Interesting. There are two Green Arrows, and there is Speedy. One Green Arrow says... Walt, head around back and guard the rear entrance while we hit the front door. Right. Says Walt as he runs off. The final panel of page four. Green Arrow and Speedy have entered the establishment, and we see the giant ring that we saw in the opening splash panel. Green Arrow says, Speedy, cover the upstairs display cases. I'll circle left. You bet, GA. Seconds later, high above the floor. See Speedy cutting across a gantry, and a familiar figure approaching him. Speedy says, Maybe I can get a look-see from the catwalk, and GA, you're here too? But suddenly, we hear a rat-a-tat-tat, and as a blang as they're fired on from below. Speedy says, They must be downstairs, GA. Look out, Speedy. They've got us pinned down with a Tommy gun. Gosh, the caption for panel three. Abruptly, the smashed catwalk gives way, and... Yes, obviously the bullets, the Tommy gun, have done some damage to this gantry, this catwalk that they were walking across, and they fall and land onto the gem or the giant prop ring that we saw earlier. Roy does his best Susan from Doctor Who impression as he cries, Oh, my ankle! And the next panel, we see Green Arrow and Speedy on top of the giant ring, and we also see... That the, the strap holding Roy's quiver to his back, to his shoulder, has snapped. His quiver falling. That's dangerous. In the next panel, we see Green Arrow and Speedy stretched out on top of the giant gemstone, trying to avoid the fire of the bad guys who are shooting at them from down below. But one of the bad guys in a blue suit has an idea when he says, Get upstairs! You can fire down at them! So that's a bad thing. Green Arrow says, We've got problems. We must get down before they get up. Trouble is, you've lost your arrow line in the sheath. To which Speedy says, Yes! And we can't expect any help from your Walt Craig. I checked your secret files, GA, and I know you have Walt listed as a possible criminal. You're trying to help him go straight, but he'll never risk his neck for us. You think so? Green Arrow says as he fires his arrow line behind them. Roy continues in the next panel saying, Yes! What's more, your arrow line will only support the weight of one, GA. I refuse to use it. You're more important to... Oh! And he stops because Green Arrow suddenly punched him in the jaw with a thud. Green Arrow says, We're both going to gamble it, Speedy. And the caption name for the first panel of page six. The slender lifeline strains to the utmost as the pair swings down. It's a very dynamic shot as Green Arrow, who must be strong as heck, holding Speedy in his right arm and swinging on the line in his left arm, swinging down above the bad guys who are pointing guns at them as the other Green Arrow runs through an open doorway exclaiming, What? Caption for panel two. Suddenly the line parts. Yeah, they're obviously too heavy. 
We see Green Arrow and Speedy start to fall in the foreground. Green Arrow fires off two arrows and says, Now or never, Speedy's unconscious. He'll land wrong. Can't protect himself. GA quickly fires off a couple of arrows, so with a twang and a sock and a pow, that knocks out two bad guys. Capture for panel three. A twin knockout with boxing glove arrows occurred in the nick of time. And this is actually quite funny, because with an oomph, one of the bad guys, Green Arrow, Speedy, the two whose line had snapped, fall from there and land on top of the bad guys. That's tremendous. So as well, Green Arrow firing on them. They've almost experienced death from above. <laughs> Caption for panel four. And as Speedy regains his senses. Roy sets up as both Green Arrows fire at the remaining members of the decoy gang, saying, Handcuff Arrows did the trick. The other one says, That finishes them. Yep, they zip past. And we see them fastening on the wrists of the bad guys, making them drop their guns. Roy sets up, saying, Phew, th- thanks for taking such a chance to save my life, G.A. In the next panel, Green Arrow removes the mask of the other Green Arrow, saying, But it wasn't me, Speedy. It was Walt who brought you down. Didn't you read the message I gave you in the envelope? The one you said contained battle tactics? Gosh, no, G.A. It was shot out of my hand. Walt Craig puts a hand on Roy's shoulder on the next panel, saying, You had every right to suspect me, Speedy. The truth is, I was thinking of double-crossing G.A., but... His faith in me changed my mind. To which Ollie G.A. says, And that was my plan all along. Had you read that message, Speedy, you'd have known about it. And everyone's smiling happily in the final panel of the story now as Green Arrow says, You see, Walt, the Archery Club president found plans in your locker revealing you contemplated a crime career. I hope to show you the folly of such a life. And the craggy-faced Walt Craig replies, Working with you sure taught me that, G.A. What a fool I was. And a small caption tells us this is, the, the end. end. So if someone asks you who was the second Green Arrow and you say Connor Hawk, you can go, it wasn't even the second or the third. It was it was Walt Craig. Yep, because obviously this takes place after the remote-controlled archers, so mm-hmm. he's like the third Green Arrow we've come across. Fantastic. There you go, <laughs> listeners. And this is obviously long before Zine Arrow, Roy, you know, no one has to... Yep. No one has to travel to a parallel dimension at this point. They just just keep turning up. Yeah, Green Arrow certainly does have a lot of counterparts. Yes. (laughs) See, again, someone else could fill in for Green Arrow at any point. You know, that's handy. It's very good. I enjoyed that a lot, to be honest. Yeah, me too. When we write our DC comic, we'll have Pete Turner from last week and Walt Craig turn up. Yes, can you imagine? And Ollie will turn up and something and blah, blah, blah. Perfect. Perfect. That's what we want. I would buy it. And they'll be taking down the comic kid in Barzy. Yes. Yes, that's what we need. And all the different tarantulas. <laughs> Sensational stuff. No, that was yeah. hugely enjoyable. I loved the giant prop ring. Very Batman 66. It was so mm. good. And again, mm-hmm. way before that. Just the sort of stuff that Dick Sprang was doing at the time. This was actually drawn by George Papp, this one. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I forgot to mention, actually, the Sarge Spangled Kids one was written by Joe Samanchin and John Small was the artist for that one. Okay, cool. So, yeah, again, we haven't, we've had some Joe Samanchin stories before, but no John Small, so that was nice. Cool. And George Papp we've had before, but yeah. I like that Roy was essentially the point of view character. In yes. This. Uh-huh. I like the fact that, you know, he had concerns. And I like the phrase, I checked your secret files, GA. Yes. <laughs> secret files and origins yes. from 1997. He leaped forward to, <laughs> to the late 90s and went to the fourth pile of my coffin boxes and the second box down uh, and scrummaged through all those gorgeous, big, <laughs> chunky treats that used to come out in those days with lots of profile amazing. pages and bonus little stories. Yeah, I mean, that's excellent storytelling that Ollie has told Roy what's going on. Yeah. 
but Roy loses the the means that Ollie tried to tell him and is completely unaware of what's going on. And then, as we say, page five, where it's the reveal that it's not the uh-huh. the real Green Arrow that yeah. the, the Roy has met on the the sort of the Gantry catwalk type thing. That's fantastic storytelling. It's a real exciting sort of twist, and it's all Certainly packed is. into six pages. It's glorious. And listeners, if you're complaining that Peter's voices all sound the same, that there was a reason for it in that <laughs> episode, or else the game would have been given up. Mm. So yes. Yes, because <laughs> when I worked at the cast list originally, I was going to do Walt Craig, and Pete was like, no, I am. And I was like, oh, of course, yeah. So, yes, very yeah. good. A lot of fun. We should have been keeping a tally of how many different Green Arrows there have been all together by the end of it all. Oh, lots. Lots and lots. Now, you've, you've obviously been doing some more digging. Certainly have. There was one other story in the consideration when we originally planned to do three episodes, along with that Shiny Night story and the other Vigilante story we mentioned. But since we're only doing two, I thought I'd just mention it here, and that is a story from Adventure Comics 241 called The Queen Arrow. Mm. Now, in that story, it's very much shades of Rose and Thorn, because there's a, a female vigilante who sleepwalks and fights crime as Queen Arrow. Right. But it turns out that it's a poison drug thing that she's been infected with that makes her act out her fantasies in her sleep. Okay. And she basically hero worships Queen Arrow and has archery skills but basically for a short time she's out fighting crime as Queen Arrow and it's it's a really cool story what's her costume like very Green Arrow like yeah right, okay. <laughs> pretty much okay again it's from Adventure Comics 241 29th of August 1957 that came out check it out if you can because it is it's only six pages it doesn't outstay its welcome and it's great fun excellent we're going to stay in Adventure Comics for mm-hmm. our final story of this episode a nice little play on the old golden age trope of names being reused for characters and such like a nice interesting twist on legacy as it were because we're doing a story from adventure comics 41 published on the 18th of july 1939 just a few months after detective comics 26 with that crimson avenger story we did last week so yeah it's a couple of stories in the 30s listeners if you would like to read along if you have your copy of the golden age sandman archives handy go and grab it we will wait Turn to page 29. We have to wait for them to go and get it first. Okay. Right. You know. Okay, hang on, right. Hang on. I think they're coming back now. Okay. Right, okay. Yes. Looking at the contents page, this would appear to be the third ever published Wesley Dodd Sandman story. Huh. How exciting. And yes, we probably will do the second ever published Wesley Dodd Sandman story at some point before we get to a particular issue of Superman Family. So stay tuned for that one. Wesley's not on the cover of Adventure Comics 41, which is boo, because if he was, <laughs> Peter could have, could have described the cover to you. Yes. There we go. A very arresting opening panel. The Sandman by Larry Dean. We see a lady, a nice hat with a flower in it, red coat. She's walking through the mist and fog down by the docks. A caption says, A foggy midnight on the waterfront. From a deep shadow on an aged pier, a girl spies upon two men who stealthily board a decrepit old freighter. Yes. We can't see the freighter, we can't see the two men, but that's what she's up to. Caption then for the next panel. But the spy is spied upon. Unknown to the girl, a black-caped, strangely-masked figure patiently observes her every move. The Sandman. Yes. And we see that Wesley Dodds lurking in a corner, fog swirling around. Very, very atmospheric. And of course, this is Wesley in the early days of his career when it's all fedora, gas mask and double-breasted suit. Very simple, straightforward gas mask compared to some of the ones he'd have in other stories or 
other series later on, mm-hmm. light years away from the big nozzle type thing that he had in Sandman, Missy Theatre, but that's yes. expected. Actually, before we go any further, isn't it exciting that he's getting another another series yes. in the wake of this golden age, mini Golden Age revival that's going on? It's fantastic, I yes. I tried to tears it. of absolute joy, listeners. I was so, so pleased because <laughs> Sandman, Missy Theatre is probably my second favourite comic of all time after Starman. I'm a 90s kid, what can I say? Anyway, on with the plot. The caption for panel three. The two men who have boarded the freighter enter a cabin. Yes, we get a nice silhouetted look at these two antagonists. We'll see them properly in a second. One big, beefier man, thicker set, and a smaller guy beside him. The smaller guy is saying, I've just got to have some wing or I'll, I'll go crazy. And we get a wider shot in the next panel. We see that the wing he's talking to is a large, slight, I would say slightly overweight, very thick set man. Wearing a sort of sailor's cap at John Angle, but he's missing his left hand and he has a hook. So that's a bit scary, yes. And this chap, who's called Wing, says... Sure, sure. You'll get some. At my price. I, I've only got five dollars, Wing. What? Only five bucks? Why, you sniveling hophead? I'd never let you board if I'd known. My price to you is $25 or no smoke. Please, Wing, please. Do you think I'm in narcotics for fun? I'm after money, big money, and I can get it. Look. And the final panel of this opening page, Wing points with his wing through an open hatchway to another room, presumably on the boat, and we can see some goings on. And it looks, if you look closely, it's not very clear, but one man appears to be smoking something. Wing and the little guy take all this in, and Wing says, All those men have money. Lots of it. They pay big. I'm through with the old penny any game. Have we had drugs before? I can't remember. <laughs> have we had drugs have before? Have we had drugs before? <laughs> Listeners, have you had drugs before? We've had no. medical. Have we had... Um, and not medical. Have <laughs> we had the sort of underground, seedy, backroom narcotic type thing? I don't think no, we have. It's not very, really, no. Very evocative. Feels very of the time. Anyway, mm. we arrive at the top of page two. And Wing continues. Now get out. And don't show your neck in here again. Listen, you got money? I'm an old customer. I know all about you. If you throw me out, I, I'll squeal to the cops, you hear? I'll squeal! One of Wing's compadres stands up and walks a little closer in the next panel as Wing says, Oh, so you'll squeal. Well, well, you heard that, Tipper? He'll squeal. And at that, the little chap looks very, very threatened, very, very, very scared indeed. A slow dissolve the caption for panel three. Meanwhile, the girl in the dock has stolen aboard. Yes, the girl in the red coat has got onto the boat and we can see now that she can still just about see through the fog. What appears to be two men carrying a body between them. Uh-oh. In panel four, we zoom in a little bit closer and we see that it's Tipper, who should we should describe as a thin chap with a moustache wearing a white hat. It's Tipper and Wing and they're holding up the body of the little guy. Tipper is saying, he's still breathing, Wing. Guess you didn't clip him hard enough. He won't be breathing much longer. Not in the river bottom. Uh-oh. We cut back to the lady in red who exclaims, Murder! This story is more than I bargained for. I should have... But then the caption continues underneath her saying, At that moment, her coat belt buckle clinks against an empty oil drum. And in panel six, we see that Tipper and Wing have heard this and turn round. Tipper is going for his gun. Discovered and cut off from the dock, the girl makes a desperate spring to the rail and dives over. Yeah. Tipper fires after her. And in the final panel of page two, Tipper and Wing cross to the side of the boat, look down at the water. Tipper says, Must have plugged her. She ain't come up. To which Wing says, There she is, way out there. 
We've got to stop her. Call the boys. We arrive at the top of page three. In a minute, Wings boats are flying the fog-bound waters. Yeah, this is gorgeous, quite frankly. It's going to be a treat picking out panels for this for the socials. The boat is plying across the river. The water is manky. It's green and yeah. it just looks like there's loads of scum floating around the top. And There's a couple of boats, actually. Tipper's in a boat of his own. And Wings in his own boat, with a few bad guys behind him. Wing is saying, Hug the ducks! Don't let her get ashore. We'll motor around and find her. Yeah. So the next panel, panel two, page three, is essentially Tipper on patrol. Mist swirling around him as he bobs up and down. And we see a hand reach out of the water and grab the side of the boat. And in panel three, this figure, who belongs to the hand or the hand belongs to, pulls himself out of the water a little bit more. We can see he has a blue mask on. And he tips the boat so that Tipper, <laughs> ironically, falls into the water. Panel four, we can get a better look at this guy. A couple of fish swim past as we see the newcomer struggling with Tipper under the water. And we can see that it's the actual Sandman in his swimming trunks and a gas mask. He must be freezing. (laughs) He seems to have dealt with Tipper because we don't see him subsequently. No. Dark thoughts there, Wesley Dodds. Uh Panel five, the Sandman has emerged from the water. He's using the boat to try and balance himself. And he looks around because he's heard a splash to the left. The girl. Swimming underwater, the Sandman comes up by the tired girl. We see the girl with all this green flotsam all around her. <laughs> it looks disgusting, it really does. Looks like an English lake these days. Yes, how topical. Yes. Mm. Sandman is approached in the water, as, as the caption says, obviously. The girl says, What? Who are... Shh, he says. The Sandman. Follow me. I have a boat. Next panel. Sandman's climbed into the boat and he's helping the girl in too. She says... I've heard a lot about you, Mr. Sandman, but believe me, I never expected to be rescued by you. You haven't been yet. Listen, a motor. Close shot of them both looking a bit spooked in the final panel on page three, as Sandman says, Wing's boat. He's coming towards us. Get down on the bottom while I slip on his hat and coat. And as we arrive at the first panel of page four, the caption there says, Wing's boat looms in the fog. The motor is cut. Wing calls. Any signs of her tipper? And a silhouetted figure in the distance replies, No! It's cool, actually. We see Wing, his goons, they're all armed, floating about near the looking for the girl. Capture for panel two. With a curse, Wing switches on the motor and goes by. Yes, it's, it's a good thing it's so dark down by these docks mm-hmm. and that, you know, Wing just assumes that the guy wearing a hat is, is his pal. The girl says, That was close. Now's our chance to get ashore, says Sandman. We cut back to the bad guys in their boat. And one of the goons says, Wing, look, it's her! Wing lunges forward saying, Quick, a burst from your tummy gun! Ed, step up the motor to cover it! In the next panel, one goon who's wearing a green suit reaches to pull the body that they think is the girl out of the water. Boss, it ain't her! It's Tipper! To which the guy in purple says, Then who was that in the boat? The girl is an accomplice. Back after him! A slight shift in view in panel five. I'm enjoying the grid structure. Yeah. I have to say, anyway, shift in panel five, as the goons and wing look out over the water, and we can see a couple of figures up on the dock, one goon says, There they go, into that abandoned powerhouse. Rally the boys, surround the building, don't let them escape. And a little bit of a narrative leap in panel six, as we're inside the building with Sandman, who's still wearing the, the hat and the suit jacket over his swimming outfit. The girl's standing behind them. They're hiding inside this this powerhouse and they can see a silhouetted figure with a gun outside. Looking out, Sandman says, We're trapped. Back inside. The next panel, he's taking his jacket off again and he's 
opened a door in the wall and he says to the girl, Crawl in this old furnace and stay there. Pointing in, the girl says, But you... Sandman doesn't reply, but sneaks off. Final panel, page four. Only page four. Epic. See Sandman lurking, watching as a shadowy figure approaches through an open doorway. It's the guy in the purple suit with the Tommy gun. Shadow cast on the floor in the first panel of page five. The Sandman leaps from above and takes him down. He searches his pockets in panel two. He pulls them out and he says, Matches. Now I'll summon help. The caption for panel three reads, Suddenly, as the Sandman is climbing up into the building, a light flashes on him. And we see Wesley, it looks like he's been caught in a spotlight. And then in panel four, there's a bit of a narrative leap because one of the bad guys, the guy in the green suit who pulled Tipper out of the boat is saying, that got him. He fell over the ledge and there's smoke coming out of his pistol. So he must have fired. Maybe that's even what the spotlight was. Wing replies to this. He's finished. Now find the girl. And the next panel, nice moody shot of Wing and his bad guys investigating around the building, trying to find where the girl has gone. And in panel six, they figure out what's going on because Wing is saying, So... The little girl's playing hide-and-seek way back in the furnace, eh? And the goon that's with him says, She's behind that baffle. Can't get a shoot at her. So, have they just found her inside the furnace? Or are they... It's not very clear, listeners, to be mm. honest. We're missing a couple of panels and maybe an exposition recaption or two, to be honest. This bad guy continues in the next panel saying, I'll crawl inside and... Don't! She may have a gun! And Wing says, No need to risk it. We'll build a fire in this furnace. And the caption for the final panel of page five. But on the roof. Yep, we're back with the Sandman. Still in his underpants and his gas mask. I hope he's, hope he's not going to catch a cold or anything. Fingers crossed. He's got some scrap wood together. And he's lit a fire himself. Obviously, those matches were very useful. Flames burning. Hopefully, maybe that will keep him warm, actually. As I say, that he's running about in his underpants. <laughs> Sandman is saying, lucky for me that ledge was handy. Or I'd be playing a harp by now. So, obviously, that must be where he was climbing up. And maybe he fell onto it. I don't know. He continues, This fire should attract plenty of help. Now I'll go back inside and keep the boys busy till it comes. And the caption for the first panel, page six. Inside, the Sandman sees... Yes, Wing and his goons, they've got the door to the, the furnace open. We can see the firewood inside and Wing has lit a match. He's saying, Last chance, girly. Do you like the firewood or do you come out? Grasping a suspended chain, the Sandman swings across the vast room and drops into the midst of the thugs firing his strange gun which shoots a cloud of mysterious gas. Bet your backside that panel's going in the socials, listeners. Mm. Very, very effective. Nice to see Wesley using his gas gun. A couple of the bad guys put their hands up and they're obviously uncomfortable. The caption for panel four. The thugs go down, choking and gasping for breath. Yep. You see one guy's hat falling off and wing. He's hooked very clearly, but his good hand goes up to his throat as he tries to breathe. He also presumably goes down. Panel five, the Sandman putting his gas gun back into his holster as he crosses to the, the furnace, saying, Ah, I hear the crash of a breaking door. Help has come. Time for me to fade. Obviously, that must be the, the police arriving. And then he says to the furnace, Goodbye, lady. Swiftly climbing into the shadowy vaults of the old powerhouse, the Sandman disappears. Yeah, and we see the girl emerging silhouette from the furnace. She's okay, thank goodness. She says, he, He's gone. And a caption for panel seven. Police and firemen burst into the room. Yep, see the firemen in the background looking up at the ceiling, trying to figure out what's going on. The lead policeman says to the girl, What's going on here? Who are you? To which she replies, I'm Janice Blue of the Daily Press, and just about everything's been going on. She gets a nice, wide-eyed close-up to round things out, saying, I've located a narcotics den, seen a murder, been shot at, almost drowned, rescued by the Sandman, and... 
Oh, what a story I've got! And a nice big round caption tells us this is... The End. Yes, we find out in her second last panel she was called Janice. I wonder if she ever came back. If they hadn't called her Janice, they could have said that was Lois Lane. <laughs> that would have been brilliant, wouldn't it? I mean, I think the real Lois Lane might have been a bit tougher and a bit more hands-on. True. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? Right, obviously the reason we read that is because the bad guy was called Wing. Yes! And Wing, as we all know, is the sidekick of the Crimson Avenger. So this is mere months after the Crimson turned up with uh-huh. Wing in hand. Here's another Wing. Yes. Is that the earliest DC legacy character? <laughs> Could be, could be. Legacy stretch. Get reuse of name is fine. Multiverse you know. historian, if you're listening, how do you reconcile that one? <laughs> Multiple wings. Yeah, that was lots of fun. I know what you say about the Golden Age storytelling and that some things seem to happen off panel between two panels, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff here as well, like the, the creeping up on Tipper on the boat. Mm. The, the use of, I mean, there's three silent panels there. Yeah, it's glorious. Which are fantastic for storytelling. It's just something that, you know, you didn't really see much then. Yeah, it's very effective. I mean, it's it's similar to the the way that the Crimson story was sort of told mm-hmm. we did last week. Yeah, I can imagine if this story had been done in the sixties, it wouldn't be anywhere near as nasty or violent. Yeah, because huh. that little guy, the squealy guy at the start, yeah. has obviously been done and then just gets dumped in the water. But there'd be almost captions for every panel telling you what was going on. That's true. It's That's interesting. True. You know, we've talked in the past about how almost comics devolve a little bit or get a little. Uh-huh unsophisticated as, yeah. as time goes on mm-hmm. it's very very adult mm-hmm. you know the drugs situation the, the narcotics den the fact that Wing is just obviously a complete bastard <laughs> for want of a better way of putting it yeah. you know the, the the real jeopardy of Janice being locked in or hiding in the furnace yeah of all the places to hide it's not going to end well being there yeah it's literally in the nick of time that Wesley swings down and stops Wing from actually lighting the flames. It's it's all very good. It's very, very tense. I'm fascinated with the fact that this is like the third Sandman appearance, really, and he turns up and he's going about in bathing trunks for yes. the vast majority of the story. He's not in his proper costume. He's, no. he's got the gas mask on, fair enough, which um, admittedly, I don't know much about gas masks. The whole underwater swimming, wearing a gas mask, is that I don't a know. Thing? I couldn't tell you. Has Wesley got a special custom gas mask? Of course he has. <laughs> I mean, what led Wesley there in the first place? I'd be interested to know. Also, we're seeing Wesley. At no point is he, is he named. At no point is his identity exposed. And at no point does his gas mask come this off. This is very true. Which is fascinating. The first conversation that he has with Janice, though, he knows who Wing is. Uh-huh. So he's obviously been investigating. He must have been, you know, carrying out a parallel investigation that mm. she... That, you know, to what she was doing. He's in, well, obviously, I mean, he's watching her in the first panel. Yeah. It's probably safe to guess that he is sort of involved. I've forgotten he was actually in the first panel. It's, I, just, I love yeah. the way that he just emerges from the water like some oh god, yeah. silent assassin. It's, uh-huh. it's one of these ones, that I can imagine this being done, all the drug stuff and mm-hmm. the, the lady being involved in the violence. Mm-hmm. It makes me think that Sandman Mystery Theatre was actually very, very accurate and very respectful. Yeah, tonally, definitely. Yeah. yeah, authentic for want of a better, for, you know, uh-huh. there's a struggle to find the word. I mean, I remember Roy Thomas in The All-Star Companion being very dismissive of Sandman Mystery Theatre. Mm-hmm. But comparing this to, to the ethos, the vibe of your average Sandman Mystery Theatre story, and they yeah. ain't a million miles away. No, definitely not. The, the feel is, is definitely the same. I mean, know. this one might not have stretched out to four issues, which was the normal Sandman Mystery Theatre uh-huh. arc, but I can imagine this being done. I can imagine Wesley heaving himself out of the water and being like... <sighs> It could be, because they could have a lot of build-up to this, like the investigation to find yeah. out more about Wings. Yeah. Wes comes across someone who's been affected by him, or someone mm-hmm. who's on mm-hmm. the stuff that Wings selling. Yep. The little squealer, listen to a squealer cry. Yeah. You know, it's all very avenues and alleyways. The little squealer guy could have had a soul subplot to himself in part one before yep. being 
maybe bumped off at the end of episode two. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was reading the All-Star Comic Archives the first time and uh-huh. being stunned at how different some of the heroes were compared to what I'd got used to. Right. Like, the, especially the Kirby Sandman's a bit of a wisecracker, but this, yeah. that's a real departure from, from the roots. Yes. Which which is going on here. Yes. And, um, but reading this one, Golden Age, I mean, some of the guys... Some of the stories are almost like, you know, they're very forgettable, but this is uh-huh. just so atmospheric. Look at all the, the fog and mist sort uh-huh. of in almost every panel. The jeopardy of, you know, Sandman himself being in danger, Janice being in danger. Just, yeah. Wesley kills a guy and then leaves him floating well, in, the, in the water. Does he? I mean, it could be... They pull Tipper's, yeah. Tipper's body out of, you know... I mean, yeah, but obviously, they just have machine gunned at that area, so... Well, I know, but if you look at... You know, that's them struggling. I'm showing. I'm holding yes. this up to show Peter and for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. That's him struggling underwater. Obviously, Wesley's won because he's come up, and then uh-huh. they find Tipper's body floating a page later. That's quite dark. I think the modern, mm. a modern <laughs> story might have had a few, a thought bubble of him regretting having had to do this. Uh-huh. But it was if he's putting his comatose body back in the boat, something like that. You know, something like that. Well, yeah, not yes. even comatose. I think he's dead, man. There's no two yeah, ways no, about but, it. <laughs> but in a modern, in a modern way, you know, they've said that he, he was just unconscious. Well. <laughs> I don't know. I think a Matt Wagner, Stephen Seagal story, and you know Guy Davis story would have had him regretfully having to dispose yeah, of the guy, okay. and maybe talking to you know his to his butler afterwards. But I was thinking little, more like Silver Age sort of style. You know, at the end it would be like, oh yes, I've knocked him unconscious with a sleeper hold. I know. Under the water I know, but we're we're really just sort of comparing yeah. it to to SMT, and sure, I think uh-huh. um, it's interesting. I mean, trying to imagine this as a Silver Age story, I think is actually impossible. Wing would be. Much more of a Popeye-style caricature, I think. Wouldn't it wouldn't be, be, be cackling. It, it wouldn't be, be narcotics anyway. No, It'd be it wouldn't, something else. There wouldn't be the implicit sort of threat of her being about to be being set on fire and no, that's, that's yeah. I mean, I say for nineteen thirty-nine, it's like they they came out all guns blazing, didn't they? It's one step away from EC stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very very good. Mm. You know, and who's to say that this wing isn't? You know, looking at him, I suppose he doesn't look as if he's from the same part of the world as our wing. But it's it's fascinating. That there's another mm. wing turning yeah. up. I think that's hilarious. I was really really. <laughs> Really, really amused when you spotted it. Yeah, when you found it, it was fun. It's a laugh. It's a laugh. Yeah, it's good. So, so. now that that's all out of the way, it's mm-hmm. almost time for the main event. Yes, the tenth annual Justice League Justice Society crossover. We started talking about what we're going to do with this. What the start of this year? Was it? No, it's before that. I, think. I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. I remember it being dark and wet outside. Whatever, and coming to see you working. But <laughs> Pete and I had very similar thoughts because obviously we did our Batmaner episode at Hogmanay. This year, yes. we got a few pals to help us out and do a couple of voices, but we had the idea because the cast, the cast of this impending, has some nearly three dozen individual superheroes in it, <laughs> and we thought there's no way in heck we're going to be able to try and do between us fifteen or sixteen voices that all sound different enough that you, yeah. You know. So in a Logopolis moment, we'd both been thinking about it and mm. we hadn't actually sort of discussed it yet. We had the idea simultaneously that it would be fun to get a few more people involved, didn't we? We certainly did. Yes. And that's before I realised what an editing nightmare it's going to be. Mm. <laughs> Very much so, which is why I've been doing a bit more preparation than normal to try and smooth things. But yes, so joining us in the, over our next few episodes, a few family members, a few friends, a few people from some other podcasts that, that we enjoy. So in no particular order then, we're not going to tell you who they're playing yet either. Over our next few episodes, we'll be getting a helping hand from such people as... Vince, Dan and Tony from the Awesome Comics Podcast. Our friends Max and Rich from the Weird Warriors Podcast. Kenny Smith from the Power of Three Podcast. And also Pieces of Eighth. Yes, I'm delighted to say that Brandon Peters, from my favourite podcast, The Brandon Peters Show, is going to be joining us and doing a few voices. Ross from Stop Let's Team Up. 
The Fire and Water Podcast Network's Irredeemable Shag, I'm delighted to say, is joining us to, to help out. I'm a big fan of his, his Justice League Bwahaha podcast, so I'm delighted that he's able to, to help us out. And for the part of the vigilante, there's only one man we could call in, and that's Ranger Gord from the Prairie Justice Podcast. Absolutely. And a few returning voices amongst it from our family and friends. Our good pal Steve Higgins will be back. And a few other folks as well. So, hopefully we've got you all fired up for some Seven Soldiers of Victory action with these last two episodes, exploring the the almost twists on their legacy. Mm-hmm. And the 10th annual Justice League Justice Society crossover will begin next week. Slight change in the format. We'll be holding all the discussion on letters pages and our thoughts on each story. We're going to do, we'll hold that all up and do an episode afterwards, mm-hmm. after the, the three parts of the story. So don't worry about that. We'll get to that eventually. But yes, next week, issue 100 of the Justice League of America. Gosh. I can't wait. Gosh. Can you wait, listeners? Why don't you write to us and tell us if you can wait? You can email us at theearthtoothpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some lovely bonus material, including apparently a picture of my stripesy pop vinyl with his mad hair, which is golden age accurate. Yes. yes I found it really disappointing when stripesy came back and he had pretty much normal hair. It's such a wacky do. Yeah, I suppose they just wanted them to be taken seriously, I suppose, didn't they? Yeah. He's, he's almost like a buff caricature, strong man back in the day. Anyway, anyway, fun. listeners, what's your opinion on Stripes' hair? Yes, let us know. Now, on social media, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast, at both Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter at podcast underscore Earth 2. And it's the number two for other social media. Yep, check out the socials as usual this week, listeners. We'll be posting a few panels and the stories we've talked about, and a few other bits and bobs. Right. I'm going to go and finish writing my script. Good. I'm going to go and start editing this one so that I can get ready for the massive hole I've dug myself. Yes! Hey, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. I can't wait to hear it, listeners. I hope you can't wait to hear it either. No, we're all psyched for it. It's an epic story. The Justice League and the Justice Society team up once again and rescue the seven soldiers of victory from being scattered through time. We can't wait. We'll see you next week on that bombshell and all that. Yes, I've been Peter. I've been David. Take care. You've been listening to... The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. But Walter's in silhouette right now, so we can't see the smile as he thinks to himself, What a laugh. For months I've been fashion and I've now gone totally different He's become English. (laughs) It's the what a laugh. What a laugh. For months I've been fashioning myself after Green Arrow, studying his archery techniques to my Harry H. Corbett. What a laugh is a line that Julian Bashir said in one episode of DS9 and it stuck with me because <laughs> it's just it's so badly delivered. Right, you'll have, like... to, you'll have to find that on YouTube and isolate it and post <laughs> that tiny little clip on the socials like I did for No Wasps. Anyway, right. Here we go, right. Good. Walt Craig is thinking. What a laugh. I've done again. <laughs> Walt, head around back and guard the rear entrance while we hit the front door. Right, says Walt Craig and runs off. I'm all... Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. It's okay. That's... Okay. <laughs>